Good morning, church. Man, I'm so glad that you're here today. What an exciting day, the first day of the week to come together as the family of God, to gather around the Lord's table, to sing praises to our risen Savior, to say, God, you are the most important thing in my life. Amen, church? Uh, so good to be with you this morning. And I want to say a special welcome to our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us and being a part of our assembly today. Our hope, of course, is that you've seen Christ in our midst. And uh, maybe if you're looking for a church home today, you could say you found it. We'd love for you to be a part of our Crosspoint family, joining us and telling the story of hope that is Jesus Christ to all those uh, that, that you come in contact with each and every day. We know that we've been blessed with gift sets, and so we pull all those together to, to be a family of God right here at Cross Point and to share in that storytelling all across the world in different ways to let people know how important Jesus Christ is and how he can change their life. So thanks again for being here today to celebrate all of that. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12 today, and so I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. Uh, we'll be digging into a story as we begin a brand new series called Give In Today. Uh, I know Kale preached last week and appreciate his uh, efforts in opening the Word of God to all of us as he does a great job every time he's up here. So thanks for filling in, uh, Kale, and doing a, a great job there. We finished up that series last week called See Jesus, but we're not going to stop seeing Jesus just because we finished the series, right? We're still going to see him every day in our life. He is an incredible God that we love and we are so blessed to serve. But today we want to start a brand new series as we talk about um, what we're given in life and how do we live generously. How do we live like God has blessed us? How do we live to be like the God who is so generous in what he gives us in our life? Because we want to imitate that. We want to be a part of that story. We want to say, God, I want to be like you in every possible way. So break down all the barriers and show me exactly who you've called me to be. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a story that's going to show kind of what type of heart we can have, no matter how much we have or how little that we think that we have. But the truth is, you and I, we always hope for more, don't we? We always want more in life, don't we? Uh, maybe like Oliver Twist, we've got that saying down, please, sir, could I have some more? <laughs> we, we'd love to have some more, wouldn't we? Now, fill up the bowl, if you will. Uh, if I just had a little more in my paycheck, if I had a little more in the savings account, if I had a little more college football, right, we w- we'd love to have a little more of everything. We want more in life. And that's kind of the American, oh, I, I guess, character, if you will. Uh, instead of just being satisfied with what God's given us, uh, we lean into the idea, if I could just have a little bit more. John D. Rockefeller was asked once, how much is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Because if I had just a little bit more, I could, I could pay off that student loan. If I had just a little bit more, I could take my family on that dream vacation, right? right all the way up to Stillwater, Oklahoma? No, maybe not. <laughs> maybe you'd choose to go somewhere else. I hope that you would. Uh, maybe if I had a little bit more, I could buy that bass boat or the ski boat, or I could uh, get rid of this clunker and buy a brand new car. I could pay off the mortgage. I could do any number of things in my life if I had just a little bit more. And we've all said this, probably secretly, maybe to our spouse, but Lord, if you just help me win the Powerball, I'll give you half, right? <laughs> we've said something like that along the way. But we want just a little bit more. 
As we dig into the story of Jesus in all four of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we understand is we've got a, a teacher, a preacher from Nazareth who loves to tell stories about the, the kingdom of God and practically how that looks in our life. How do we become who God's called us to be? Sometimes we call those stories parables. And there are about 38 different stories that Jesus tells talking about what the kingdom of God should look like and how our life should look. But out of those 38 parables, 16 of them have to do with material wealth, possessions, resources. Why is that? It's because you and I, as human beings, we, uh, we get locked into the glitter, don't we? We get allured by the gold, so to speak. We get off track for what we're really here for, and that's spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And we get sidetracked by trying to hoard or get more stuff. Jesus, in his ministry, if you were to count up all the different verses, he spends about 500 verses talking about prayer and how important prayer is in our life. Jesus spends about 500 different verses talking about faith and what does it mean to follow God. But can you believe that Jesus, in his ministry, talks some 2,000 verses about material wealth and money? Because it happens to be a distraction for his creation. We can get off kilter. We can move in a, in a direction that was never meant to. Rather than putting God first in our life, we elevate maybe some other things in our life. Kathleen Gurney said, for most of us, money and our feelings toward it are dynamic and intense. We love money or we hate it, but we certainly never ignore it. We wish we had more, we're, we're, we're upset about it, we're not happy about it, but we never, never ignore it. And about every year and a half or so, I try to put together a series to remind us as people of God, to remind me as a person of God, uh, that my priorities need to be right. I need to make sure that Jesus is number one in my life and everything that I do reflects that to the world around me. And I'm reminded as I get ready for these moments in time that sometimes I need to recategorize, I need to reorient to what God's called me to live. I mean, if I were to take you out to lunch today, that's probably not going to happen, but if I were to, (laughs) if I were to take you out to lunch and look across the table and say, do you think that you're wealthy? you would probably answer right away, oh no, not me. (laughs) I'm not wealthy. I mean, call up uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the the CEO of Facebook. He's he's a guy that's got a lot of money. Go over to the Highland Park area, Jerry Jones. Those guys have a lot of money. Uh, Call my rich uncle out on the West Coast in Malibu. He's got a lot of money. Me, I'm not very wealthy, but do you know by all statistics, as we take in the world's population, if you make more than $34,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the world in wealth. We are a blessed people. Are we not? Hasn't God blessed us in so many different ways? We're going to dig into a story here in in God's Word in Mark chapter 12 uh, that is going to be reminding us of what it means to have a heart for God. What does it mean to have a generous life, to have a generous heart that wants to make sure that God is number one. But I want to talk a little bit about one of the main characters in our story, and that is a widow. We don't have her name. We don't know who she is. We don't know how long she's been a widow or or how old she is. What I can tell you is a little bit about Jewish life and being a widow. Uh, Most uh, 
everyone that was married, of course, leaned on their husband for the income. It was a very patristic society, a very male-oriented and dominated culture. And so women really didn't make money. They, they made a decision to stay home, raise the family, do all the things that the, the, the man of the house, while he was out, couldn't do. Uh, and so if someone lost their husband, they were in dire straits. There was no real way for them to have an income. One of the best stories that we see of how this might unfold for someone who was a widow is the book of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi, Naomi being the widow here, and then eventually Ruth, they both lost their husbands, lost their sons, and so there was no form of income for them. But what we find out in the story is they're going out to the fields that are left ungleaned, that are not harvested, so they can pull some grain and make some bread, some dinner for themselves. And so there were, there were laws in Jewish culture that were in place so that a widow could be taken care of, but you might be lucky enough to have a kinsman redeemer. In other words, if you were a widow, maybe the next of kin would marry you to make sure that you were maintained, that you were taken care of. Now, we don't know anything about the lady in our story, so we don't know what her, her position is, but we do know a lot about her heart her nature, and her character, who she believes that she is as she comes into contact with being a person of God. So let's read our story beginning in verse 41. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she had to live on. Now, I don't know about you, but it's interesting when I read stories in the Gospels, how the writers categorized those stories. In other words, how they enveloped those stories. What other stories did they put around particular ones? And in chapter 12, it's interesting at the very front end of that chapter that you've got Jesus reminding his disciples and us today what the most important thing is that you and I remember. That is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. With everything that you have, make sure that God is first. Make sure that everything in your life is categorized where God is number one. He's the first person that you think of when you wake up and the last person you think of when you go to sleep. He has got to be number one. And it goes on to say, then also love your neighbor as yourself. Put other people in front of you as well. That's the type of life that we're called to. And what we see the heart of the widow is in our storyline. And maybe some of you resonate with this widow that doesn't have, obviously, a lot of money. Maybe some of you have been laid off, and so your income is reduced or gone to nothing. Maybe maybe you've got a job, but it still isn't making ends meet. You still have more bills at the end of the month than you've got got money. Maybe in in your own life you, you live on a fixed income. And so you know exactly to the penny what you're getting in every month, and you're kind of protecting that. You're making sure that you've still got that in place. You've only got so much coming in, and you've got to make sure that that goes to the right sources, the right places. Maybe maybe you've got a great job, but you don't have enough to get more education or, or more training in order to move up to that next earning level, if you will. Maybe maybe you've gone through a divorce, 
And so you're living on maybe half of what you used to have. Maybe some of us in this audience can resonate with this older widow lady who's giving just a small portion of what she has because it is indeed very small. Maybe the choices that you've made in life have put you in the position that you are right now. Or maybe the choices that you're hoping will come to fruition at some point just haven't emerged yet. It hasn't, hasn't come to fruition. And you've got very little right now that you own or possess. This lady, she did not have much. But the story shows us what does it look like to have a heart like God? What does it mean to live generously? in the world in which we live. After all, you remember Jesus said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said you're going to be blessed more when you dig in and be a part of God's story when you share what you have with those around you. But I think as we look in this story this morning, I I can give you four things that I think a heart of God looks like. What does it look like to fully be vested in the story of God. See, giving when, when you just have a little takes humility. It takes humility on your part when you just got a little bit. I remember uh, as a young Christian man headed off to college, I was working full-time but going to school full-time, and I remember sitting in that audience having a couple of bucks in my pocket because, but because I couldn't give a lot, I just didn't give anything. I was embarrassed, really. So I just held back. I didn't, didn't share at all. I was a consumer in the moment, but not this lady. I want to describe what that temple court looked like that she would have walked into. Jesus and his disciples are in there. They're worshiping, but they're also observing what's going on. And as you walk into the temple court in Jerusalem, when you walk into the courtyard, there are 13 different uh, chests that you can go and give to. So in that courtyard, you might want to say, I want to help with the upkeep of, uh, of, of the altar. And so you go to that particular chest and you give money. Or you may want to say, listen, I know that there's repair needed in some of the columns, and so I'm going to give toward that particular up- upkeep. We do the same thing here at Crosspoint. In your memo, if you want to give toward missions, you just write in, in the memo, I want to give toward missions. We've got green envelopes that maybe you see some people put in the plate, and that means it's going toward our kids' wing. We want to pay off our building loan so that our kids can fully know better what the story of God is. These 13 chests in, in the courtyard are, operate much the same. Now, on top of the chest, it's interesting, each and every one has a bronze trumpet. Now, I want you to remember, in Jesus' day, there is no paper money. Everything is coin. Everything is metal. And so as you're uh, going in to give, you, you drop money into that trumpet, that metal trumpet, and there's a lot of noise made. I kind of likened it to a, maybe a casino, not that I've ever been to a casino, but <laughs> you know what that sounds like. And so you've got a rich guy who's in the courtyard, and he is giving money to a certain thing, a handful at a time, and it's clank, 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 there's a lot of noise going on. The courtyard is filled with noise, and people are beginning to wonder, wow, who's that? What's he giving? Wow, why is he giving to that particular thing? And you bring a lot of attention to yourself. And here's this widow who has two what we call mites. Now, some scholars, they vary on how much that was actually worth. But a day's wage is about a denarius. And one scholar says as much as 264 widow's mites make up one denarius. She has two that she's putting in. 
not making a lot of noise, not drawing a lot of attention, but nonetheless, she wants to be part of God's world. She wants to share in the story. She has a generous heart, and she has humbled herself in the midst of all this other giving to say, I'm also going to bring something to the table. I'm also going to help out in the telling of God's story. And Jesus calls attention to his disciples and says, that's what a generous heart looks like. If you're giving when, when you only have a little, it also takes initiative. It takes a moment in your own life, that initiative, to say, I want to be a part. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to jump into the story at this point. I'm not going to hold back anymore. You see, it takes faith uh, to take part in something that looks faithful. It takes faith to stay faithful when things maybe aren't as fruitful in your world as maybe you had hoped or planned. It takes a lot of faith to move forward in being someone who is generous in the story of God. This last spring, we taught a Wednesday night class here at FPU, Financial Peace University, the Dave Ramsey stuff. We had about 36 people in class, and it takes initiative to sign up for that thing. It takes initiative to say, I'm ready to talk about my credit card debt or how I'm giving back to God, or what's the priorities in my life. It takes some faith and initiative to move into that, and she remains faithful. Even with as small a portion as she has to offer, she still wants to be a part of God's story. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul makes reference to the church in Macedonia. Because there is a famine, there's some hardship going on in Jerusalem, and the church wants to be a part of that giving. It's a poor area of the world, but yet they want to be a part of it. And the text says in Second Corinthians chapter 8, the Macedonian churches, Paul says, are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift to the believers in Jerusalem. Here's a church that, that isn't doing very well. Their finances aren't the greatest in the world. But you know what? They know what a generous heart looks like because God has been generous to them. And they want to share in that part of the storytelling. They want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. They begged for that privilege, Paul says. You see, when you get there in your own life, giving when you just have a little takes discipline. It it takes a moment in your own life to say, this is going to become part of who I am. I want to be a part of God's story, and therefore it's going to call me to certain things in my life. I'm going to have to become disciplined on what I spend money on, how I, I use the resources God has given me in life. The writer of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 8 says, The rich can pay a ransom for their lives, but the poor won't even get threatened. Those with very little don't have to worry about too much, the writer says. You see, wisely handling money will take discipline. But having a little doesn't mean that generosity stops with your time, with your gift sets, with the the monetary blessings that you've been given in life by God. Generosity takes all kinds of form, but it does take discipline. There is a feel-good 
as well that's a benefit from that. We don't give in order to feel good. It's a byproduct of how God created in us the desire to do that. And when we have a heart like that, we get a feel good out of it. This picture is from Honduras this year, and several of you went to Honduras with us. And in order to do that, we, we had to be disciplined. We had to set aside money to buy that plane ticket, uh, to make sure that we had the time off. We had to hone maybe some of our skills, whether that was mixing concrete or sleeping in an uncomfortable bed, whatever it might have been, you sacrificed some things in order to, to get there. Now, I'm going to ask everyone here, if you've ever been on a mission trip of any kind, raise your hand. Look around the room. These folks have given up some things to be a part of God's message in the world. And I'll guarantee you this, if you were to ask any one of them, initially they were going to go and make a difference in someone's life. They were going to go and bless somebody else. But I'll bet you when they came home, they'll say that they were more blessed than the blessing they gave to those who received it when they went. Because there's a feel good when you make a decision to follow God's plan you get the benefit from being a disciple of Christ when you fully give to him everything that he's called us to give. Cale mentioned that you guys last week gave $1,000 toward the Thanksgiving meal baskets for families right here in Grand Prairie. We want to help 120 families have a great holiday. And so we need uh, some more help with that. Many of you have given again today. But What a joy to know that we can be a part of God's plan to help other people around us, whether it's going to Kenya going to Honduras, helping people locally with their holiday meal, reaching out to the pregnancy center and working there or the soup line over in Dallas. Whatever it might be, you and I are called to live a generous life. You see, this lesson has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with heart. How is your heart lining up with who God's called you to be? That's what God wants us to see. You see, at the end of the day, Giving when you just have a little takes trust on your part, doesn't it? It takes trust to lean into God, to know that he is going to hold you up with his strong right hand, that he's got your back in any given situation, that you know he's going to be there for you when you make sure that he is number one in your life. And blessing comes in all forms. Maybe it's a good night's sleep because now you've got peace in your life because now you're doing what God's called you to do. Maybe it's the joy you get from seeing other people smile because of a service that you've provided in a ministry that you're now a part of. Maybe it's deep abiding relationships with other people who are also journeying towards God just like you are doing. Maybe it's health in your life. What I do know is this, church. You cannot outgive God. You cannot do it. You can try to do it as hard as you want to, but I guarantee you're going to get more back than you ever put in. When you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, when you say, he's my Lord and Savior, and my life is going to reflect that, folks, incredible things are going to happen to you in your life. Because God is good, and he's good all the time. He is going to bless you in ways you've never thought before. And this woman had it down right. Her heart was one that was generous. And what you say when you make a decision to trust God is, God, I know that you can do more with my 90% than I can do with my 100%. Think about that. God, I'm going to trust you with everything. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to make sure that I love you 100% in every possible facet of my life. 
There's another widow story in 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, The prophet Elijah is having a conversation with God, and God says, I want you to go to this little town called Zarephath. You're going to see a woman there, and I want you to ask her to bake you some bread, fix you a meal. So he goes to Zarephath, and sure enough, just outside the city gate, there's the widow. We don't know her name either. She's gathering wood, and he looks at her, and he says, would you mind getting me a cup of water? And she said, sure, I'll do that. By the way, while you're doing that, would you also go ahead and make me some uh, a meal, make me some bread? And she said, well, sir, I'm actually gathering wood right now to build one last fire. I've got just enough flour and oil to make some bread for my son and I, and after that meal, we're just going to die. There's, there's nothing left. I've got nothing else to give. This is it. He reminds her of the story that God has told him, and she, in turn, decides to trust God. She goes and uses that last bit of of flour and oil and makes the meal for Elijah. And then Elijah says, because you've trusted God, now your container of flour, your flask of oil will never be empty. And from that point forward, text tells us that every time she went to make a meal, there was enough flour and oil for a meal. Because she made a decision to trust God 100% in her life when she only had a little. You and I, that's the kind of heart that God calls us to have. To to say, no matter what's going on in life, God, I'm going to trust you fully. I'm going to give everything to you because I know that I can't outgive you, and I know I'm going to be blessed when I fall into your story, when I make a decision to tell your story in all kinds of ways through my life. Because, church, God keeps promises. God keeps his promises. I mean, do you believe that? You can read in that story all through cover to cover, and you see time after time after time, God keeps his promises. There's one point in the Bible in Malachi chapter 3 where God says, I want you as my followers to test me in this. See if I don't keep my promises. And the prophet Malachi writes down that God says, look, bring the whole tithe into my store. Trust me. Know that I've got your back. When you make a decision to fully trust me, guess what? I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven. And I'm going to release more blessing in your life than you can possibly hold. Now, church, I don't know about you. That makes the hair stand up on my arms. That is an incredible promise. You can't outgive God. He's good on all his promises. And he says, if you move me to the top of the list, if you make sure that your life reflects that you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you do all that, guess what, church? I'm going to open the floodgates, and I'm going to give you more blessing than you could possibly hang on to. I want to be blessed. How about you guys? I want to be found in God's story, don't you? I want to know that I serve a God who keeps his promises to me no matter what I might bring to the table. And so I'm going to give him my time. I'm going to give him what talent that he's given me, the gift sets he's given me. And yes, even, even the physical blessings of life belong to him. So the question this morning for you and I is uh, that wrestling moment. Honestly, where is God in my life? Where do I have him on the echelon of priority? How does my time look when I'm thinking about what I need to do versus time with God? How am I using my gift sets for his glory? 
How is my material possessions in life, how does that reflect where God is in the importance scale? You see, the widow showed us what a generous heart looks like, and in all honesty, we've already seen it, haven't we, from our God? Because at the end of the day, his was the most generous. When he said, I love you enough that I'm going to give you my one and only son, I'm going to allow him to be killed. And it's through the breaking of his body and his blood that will heal you from all the guilt in your life. And you and I will now have a relationship because of my generous heart. Thank God for his generous heart. Wow. You and I have been blessed beyond measure. And we're called to live that way in our life. It's not about stuff. It's about your heart. Where is your heart in God's story? That's what he wants to know. He's showing us in this story, that's what it looks like over there. When you don't have much, trust me anyway. Because I'm going to bless you more than you possibly can imagine. I'm going to call the praise team back to the stage at this time. and Our shepherds will be gathered along the wall of this room with their wives. And I encourage you guys, as we sing this song, maybe there's something in your life that's, that you've been hanging on to, some guilt, some, some sin, some secret that maybe you're like, I, I can't move past this. It's difficult for me to really lean into God and his story, to be a part of what he wants me to do when I'm hanging on to this. And Jesus Christ has already taken that from you. There's no reason to feel guilt anymore. When you made a decision to follow him and be his disciple, when you've been baptized into his name, risen out of that water to walk, brand new life, you are a brand new person. And you need to believe that because God's promised that and he's a guy that keeps his promises. My, my hope this morning is that the Spirit will move you to think about how important is following God in your life because it will reflect in every single thing you do. Let's stand and sing together.